Are you looking for a space where you will learn to improve your mental strength, emotional health, and heal your insecurities from the inside out? Take the first step to living a more meaningful life with the Better Me with Body by Brie podcast. I'm your host, Brie. I'm a certified personal trainer, entrepreneur, and mother of three. I've helped empower thousands of women to take action through fitness, nutrition, meditation, personal development, and aligning thoughts with action. This podcast is for those who are ready to feel inspired and motivated to live a more purposeful life. Let's grow together. Do you want to be mentally stronger in 2022? Today, we are talking about six principles of an elite mindset. I have Justin Sua on the podcast today, and he helps elite athletes perform on purpose with purpose. He's currently the head of mental performance for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he has experience in the NFL, PGA, elite CrossFit athletes, MLB, NCAA, the U.S. Army, and various other corporations. He's also the author of two books, Parent Pep Talks, The 10 Must-Have Mental Skills Your Child Must Have to Succeed in Sports, School, and Life, and also The Mentally Tough Teens, Developing the Winning Mindset. He also is the host of a daily podcast called Increase Your Impact. I can't wait for you to listen to this one. We talk all about the habits that you need to be successful and create an elite mindset. Let's get started. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on. Hi, Bree. Thanks for having me. Can't wait for our conversation. I know this is a little longer than you're used to because you host your own podcast and you said that your podcasts are four minutes max, which I love (laughs) because you pack so much information in such a small amount of time. That's genius. I think it's important just out of respect to all of your listeners and people listening, uh, I try to say, you know what, let's let's get to it. There's a lot of longer ones out there and uh, hopefully we can do the same in this conversation just to uh, give some good stuff for your listeners. Yes, I love that. Can you actually give us a little bit of a background of how you became the mental strength guru? <laughs> I don't know if I'm a guru, but you know what? As as a mental performance coach and head of mental performance here for the Tampa Bay Rays, it's been a windy and crazy road. One that I never thought I would uh, I'd even do. I didn't even know it existed. It didn't know it existed until my late twenties, and uh, and yeah, it was it was by accident. To be quite honest, I wanted to be a pro baseball player, and I went to college and played pro played college baseball. Got my degree in broadcast journalism. Wanted to be a journalist. Wanted to be on television. Uh, my internship with NBC Sports Los Angeles on the first day, I hated it. I realized oh, this, isn't, no. this isn't what I want to do. And um, and my wife's like, what are you, what do you mean this isn't what you want to do? What are we going to do? And so became a high school teacher. And I wanted, I was in education teaching high school students for five years. And then I went to pursue a master's degree in, in, um, in higher education and I got declined. Didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I loved to teach. I thought, okay, let me find another master's degree that would help me in this or help me be a better teacher. And I came across this degree in sports psychology. Thought, what was that? What is that? Looked into it and it was, uh, it's the development of human performance, helping athletes be more motivated, be more focused and be better leaders. And I thought, there's a science to this. Let, let me sign me up. I got accepted. And from the first class, I fell in love 
Once I got my master's degree, I stopped teaching full-time, opened up my own consulting business, and wouldn't you know it, one thing led to another, and after doing this for a decade, that decision was about a decade ago, having... I've had the opportunity to work with uh, from dancers to Dancing with the Stars to elite CrossFit athletes to Major League Baseball players to NFL football teams and Google, and it's been a blast. And so here we are. That's amazing. It's because you aligned your calling with your passion. That's so cool. And now look at how successful you are. I'm, I'm so excited for you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So since it's the new year and it's January, everyone is trying to set New Year's resolutions. All I see everywhere is like new year, new you, you know, or new you in 22 and (laughs) all of these slogans, right? And a lot of them are not very successful because they go about it the wrong way. And so I thought it'd be really fun if we highlighted one of your posts that was very impactful for me, and I know my audience will benefit as well. Um, And it's actually titled Six Principles of an Elite Mindset. So we're going to talk through those six principles, what they are, and if we have any questions, walk through it, and hopefully we'll have an elite mindset by the end, okay? That sounds sounds like a plan. Awesome. So the first one that you say, you're never too good to get better. Yeah, these now I'll give you the genesis of these principles. They I've had the incredible privilege and honor to really have very close proximity to some of the best athletes in the world. And not only are they physically incredible, but even mentally. And they have certain habits and certain mindsets that separate the themselves from everybody else. And these are some of the patterns that I've seen amidst the men, the men and the women who I've had a chance to work with. So this first one, you're never too good to get better. This one is for those who are making progress. This is for that person who is going to the gym often, who is really good at their craft. They might be a really good communicator. They might be highly organized. But one thing that we learn about the best in the world is they have this mindset that you're never too good to get better. Even if you're really good at what you do, you could improve. You can evolve, you can adapt and constantly and, and realize you're always evolving and you're always a work in, you're always under construction. Now, in addition to this, I think a corollary principle to this is you're never too bad to get better either because there might be someone listening to this thinking, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do that. Oh, look at her, right. look at him, look at them. No, wherever you are, start where you are. And sometimes someone might be thinking, oh, I'm at rock bottom. Perfect. Rock bottom is a perfect place to start. Uh, and, and so we can go into some of the other principles, but you're never too good to get better, but you're never too bad to get better either. It's the mindset that you can change no matter where you are, who you are, what level you're on, embrace it, and you can get a little bit better. I love that. And I think people get really overwhelmed. Even clients that I see, they get really overwhelmed when they start comparing themselves to other people. Like your best is your best for you. And you're just trying to be the best version of you, not you know the other person that you see at the gym or the other mom or whatever. I love that so much. That's so true. And I think another component to that as well is I think sometimes we'll compare ourselves not only to other people, but we'll compare ourselves to our old self. 
I used right. to be like this. I used to do that. I used to do this. Even that is a trap. And to realize, it's important to realize that your best is going to look different from day to day. You, instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do have. You might be 75% today. You, that's all you have. That's okay. Give the best that you have today, the 75% you do have, instead of beating up on yourself for the 25% you don't have. So that's a really good point you brought up. Oh, I love that. Especially with moms, we're always comparing ourselves to what we looked like before we had kids. <laughs> like, oh man, I was so ripped before. <laughs> like, no, your body has changed. Like, this is what you look like now. Let's work with where you're at now. I love that. And not focusing on the past. That's so good. It's a great point. Okay. Number two, do what you do on purpose with purpose. Yeah. This is one of my favorite principles. Living your life by design and not by default. When people ask me, what does that mean to do what you do on purpose with purpose? The example I love to use is going to the gym. On purpose is having a plan when you go to the gym, not just going to the gym and saying, okay, what am I going to do today? It's no, okay, what is your plan? How many sets? How many sets? How many reps? How much weight? You have a plan. So that's on purpose. Now, with purpose, is actually executing your plan one rep at a time. You're fully present. You're right here. You're not walking around chatting and talking. Now, now for those, I mean, it depends on what your goals are. If you're there for the social part, that's great. Like, I'm not here to judge anyone's why they go to the gym and how often you talk or how often you're on your phone. But doing what you do on purpose with purpose is having a plan and it's executing your plan. And the only way to do this is to be fully present in the here. So there was one athlete I was working with in particular, and she's one of the best CrossFit athletes in the world. One of the most fit elite athletes I've ever worked with. And her job, her career is exercising, lifting, running, jumping, climbing, pulling, you name it. And so she understands not only the physical side, but the importance of rest. But even though she understood the importance of rest, it was very difficult for her to do it because she would go on Instagram and she would see all of her competitors working out in the gym while she's at home, going on dates with her husband, reading a book and relaxing. And it was very difficult for her to truly rest. It was actually stressing her out. And it wasn't until one day we spoke and we realized that she had to change her approach, her framework around rest and recovery. She wasn't resting on purpose with purpose. And so we talked about this concept. Okay. How do you, I was asking her, how do you rest on purpose with purpose? And it was like a light switch. She started attach, started to attach meaning and purpose to her rest and recovery. She started to talk about how it was going to help her muscles, how it was going to help her mind, how it will strengthen her relationship with her husband, how it will help her just be have more mental health. And wouldn't you know it, the moment she started to rest and recover on purpose with purpose is when she started to find more value in it. She didn't beat up on herself with it. She wasn't as stressed doing it. And so if anyone's listening to this, Doing what you do on purpose with purpose is simply attaching a purpose or a meaning to the things that you do every single day. And so I just think that's such a powerful principle. 
That's everything. And I actually, my New Year's resolution was just to be more present in my life. And I feel like you can apply that that to everything, even parenting. You know, I love how whatever you're doing, have that be on purpose. And I feel like when you're talking, it almost gives you your power back because whatever you're doing in your life, you're making that your intention and you're taking your power back. So, you know, for her, she's able to take her power back and see the value in the rest. And whenever we do that, we, you know, are in control of our life. So I love that. Thank you. That's so true. Great, great point. Okay. Number three, little by little, a little becomes a lot. This is important because it helps the person focus on the process. We can get so caught up in the results, so caught up in the destination, so caught up in who we want to become and the habits we want to develop that we underestimate how how hard it's going to be and how long it's going to take. So the little by little principle, constantly reminding yourself of that helps you realize and remember that it's going to be a long process, that something is better than nothing. Going the Going to the gym for 10 minutes is better than going for no minutes. Reading one page is better than reading no pages. This helps you realize that it's the compounding of those little actions that will lead to the best version of yourself. And so another part of this is compassion, being kind to yourself. If you don't have the time to do and execute the plan that you want, just do a little bit and that's okay. And there are going to be days where you can't do a lot or can't do anything and that's okay. Pick it up again the next day. So compassion is embedded in this principle because it helps you realize that you're human. Things are going to change. Time is going to be available some days, not available other days. You have kids. Kids happen. Life happens. Plans are disrupted. Just keep chipping away. Do a little bit. If you can't go work out, do 10 push-ups and 11 burpees, whatever it may be. And that matters in doing nothing at all. I love that. I think the number one um, thing that I see with the challenge that I see with my clients is that all or nothing mentality where they're like, if I'm not perfect, then oh, I messed up. I, I just, I can't do this anymore. And it's like, they try to change everything all at one time. So I'm always trying to teach them about atomic habits. And I just am obsessed with that book and that whole concept. But um, yeah, this is definitely a principle that I try to help all of my clients see as well. And it's true. It's like just those little things add up and those little processes, those little habits add up and they don't just um, help you with, let's say your physical change, but mentally, like you're slowly becoming the person that you want to become. So I love that. Yeah. One thing, if, if you don't mind me adding to that or in addition, not In addition to that, so there's research uh, by Ryan and Desi called self-determination theory, which is a fancy jargon for saying motivation. And what they say is in order to increase motivation in somebody, they need three things. They need relatedness or strong relationships with the people around them. Uh, They need a sense of uh, autonomy or control that they're in control. And then they need a sense of mastery or in other words, progress. And so a person's sense of motivation is going to increase 
to the degree they feel like they're getting better at something. And so if you are trying to achieve this goal, grab a calendar and just tally every time you do something small. Like just see yourself winning, kind of create your own little visual scoreboard for yourself so you can see that you are stacking those tiny wins. And I think I've seen that so many times. Some of the best athletes in the world are hard on themselves. They're surrounded by the best other athletes who are the best in the world, who are faster than them, who are stronger than them, who are smarter than them. And it's important for them to focus on what they can control. And so they count themselves winning. They catch themselves winning, even those micro wins that nobody else is paying attention to except themselves. I love that. That's genius. Um, okay, number four, focus on the process, not the results. What's great about these principles is that they're all intercole- interconnected, intertwined. And this goes, this is kind of a, 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 a tie to the third one. It's closely tied to the third one. Little by little, little becomes a lot. The process. When, when we are focused on the results, it increases stress. It increases worry. It increases doubt because a lot of times the results aren't things you have, you don't have full control over it. You can influence it, but you can't rush it. You can't force it. You can't, there may be somebody listening to this and you're doing everything you can, everything you can to get results, but you step on the scale or you put those pants on, or you look in the mirror, and you know what? You're just not seeing the results matching the effort that you're putting into it. And so what do you do? You quit. You give up. You say, oh, I'm done. I guess I can't do it. And that's the problem with focusing on the results. The better way is to focus on the process. Another way to say that is to establish high-performance habits. What habits are you creating that will lead to the results that you want? Going back to your comment about the atomic habits, that's the entire essence of the book. Focus on your habits and let your results and let the outcomes flow from there. So my question to the audience, whoever's listening to this is, what are your habits? What are your routines? And I would suggest if you're looking for a place to start, you can start wherever you want. But one place that would be really beneficial to start if you're looking for a place to start would be the morning. My question to the audience listening is, what do you do in the morning? We have 86,400 seconds a day. That's not a lot. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, how much money you have, what age you are. We're all given the same amount of time. Now, the question and what separates the best from the rest is how they use that time. And you don't need to read a book. You don't need to go to school. You could you could decide right now to use that finite resource on purpose, with purpose, going back to number two. So in the mornings, what we try to establish with our athletes are when the morning routines. In your first 60 to 90 minutes of the day, what is your plan? What do you do to win the morning? Now to establish that is what's important to you. Do you want to work out? Do you want to read a book? Do you want to meditate? Do you want to pray? Whatever it may be, what do you want to do? Now, the question I always get is, oh, I, you don't understand, Justin. I don't have enough time in the morning. Okay, well, great. Like, Even if it's not 90 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes. 
oh, well, Justin, I can't wake up at three in the morning. Oh, I'm not saying to wake up at three in the morning. Obviously, whenever you wake up, it's waking up on purpose with purpose instead of laying in the bed, scrolling. But once again, I get it. We have children, some have newborns and your time isn't, you can't dictate your own time. It depends on the kids, but just something to think about. Take a look at your day and where can you build habits that will help you get the results that you want. I love that. I actually used that excuse for a long time when I had a newborn. I was like, listen, I'm not sleeping at night. Like my sleep is precious. But when I dedicated that, I started, I said 30 minutes, like wake up 30 minutes early and meditate and read and, you know, just prepare for the day. I could not believe what a difference it made in my life. So I was like, yes, of course, sleep is important. Of course, you know, it's going to be crazy with kids. Maybe they do wake you up at night, but your life is so much better when you prioritize your mornings. It's I've seen that happen in my own life. So I agree. And the the whole process, um, focus on the process, not the results. I have to constantly um, tell my clients this as well, because how are you judging your success, right? If you're judging your success on how much weight you lose, you'll be disappointed. If you're judging your success on your input, then you have control over that. And you get anxiety whenever you try to have control over something that you have no control over. And so when you can't always control how your body responds or how fast your body responds, but you can control the input and your daily mental wins. And that's what matters. And that if, you know, your goal was to work out three times a day and you did that, then you're successful right? No matter what the scale says. So I love that so much. Yeah, that's a really good point. You remind me of, I don't know if you have shared it on this podcast before, but the law of the bamboo tree. And it's a powerful example of the importance of embracing the process and not the results. You take a bamboo seed and you plant it in the ground. And if you water it properly for an entire year, give it the sunlight, give it the time, water it properly, it's going to grow zero in zero feet in one year. And then you do it the second year, you're going to zero feet. Third year, zero feet. Fourth year, zero feet. Now, this is after four years of watering it properly, having the sun, having the time in a great environment, you're going to see zero growth in four years. But if you decided to focus on the process and continue the journey, even though you weren't seeing the results, this little bamboo seed is going to grow 90 feet in the first six weeks of year five. And that's just a powerful principle. The principle is to keep watering the bamboo. If you find yourself working and and you aren't seeing the results, just remind yourself, keep watering the bamboo, keep watering the bamboo, especially if you know what you're doing. The inputs, as you described, are good. If you're eating right, if you're getting enough sleep, if you are have those relationships, loving relationships, you're, you're getting adequate exercise, that's a great routine. If you're not seeing the results, keep watering the bamboo. I love that. Ooh, that was so good. Thank you for that analogy. Now it's going to really stick in our brains every time I see bamboo. <laughs> okay, number five, embrace the boredom of consistency. If you had the chance to watch professional athletes behind the scenes, you would think to yourself, this is so boring. The amount of stretching they do, the amount of mobility they do, the the tasks that they do over and over and over. 
It's not exciting. It's nothing Instagram worthy. You don't put highlight reels to it. It's not, but it's part of the process. They don't do it because they feel like it. They do it because it's required. The reason a lot of people struggle with achieving their goals or they ditch these high performance habits or don't achieve the goals that they set out to achieve is because they're not willing to embrace the boredom of consistency. They watch the motivational videos, they get off the one-on-one phone calls and they're inspired and they don't have the stamina to continue to go or they choose not to continue to go when that inspiring feeling that they have left when that motivation they have leaves them. And so to know that you're going to be alone, there's going to be a lot of a lot of boredom. There's going to be days where you don't feel like doing what it takes, but you it takes what it takes and you do what's required. And once you can learn to act in spite of how you feel, that's where the magic happens. When you can work out when you don't feel like working out, when you can eat right, when you don't feel like eating right. And every time you do that, Every time you choose to make a, an elite decision, neurons that fire together, wire together, you're more likely to do it again. The more likely you, the, every time you cheat yourself, every time you choose the easy way out, you're more likely to do it again. And so embracing the boredom of consistency is, is knowing that you signed up for the hard road, for the boring road. The moment you committed to go after your dreams and so embracing the boredom, leaning into it and knowing that it's part of the process. I love that. I um, felt that when I was competing, <laughs> like when I would do fitness competitions, I'm like, people have no idea. Like they just see the highlight reel on Instagram or they see the sparkly suit on stage and then they see this rip body and then they compare themselves to me and I'm like, you have no idea that I've literally eaten chicken and broccoli every meal for the last three months. <laughs> you know, like it's not glamorous. It's boring and it's hard. And <laughs> that's what it took. So I love that so much. It's so relatable. Yeah, I appreciate right. you saying that too. I when I I pre because a lot of people they just look at the at the you're right, the highlights. They look at the game, they look at the lights, the fancy cars or whatever, pro pro athletes and the body and the speed and everything. They don't even take into consideration the hours and the sacrifices and how hard it is to do that and to get to that position. So that's I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh yeah. Even in business, like if you look at my business, if you look at my Instagram. It looks like it's the funnest thing in the world, which it is, but you're not seeing, you know, the like every day in and day out of just checking emails and sitting on Zoom calls and, you know, like sitting at the computer for eight hours, like you don't see any of that. And that all you see is the highlight reel. And so I think it is important to acknowledge the the boredom of consistency. Exactly. All right. Last one. Learn from failure. Sarah Blakely. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She is the owner of Spanx. She's the first self-made billionaire, female billionaire in the world here in the United States. Um, I think in the world, probably in the world, but amazing story. And she has one of my favorite stories about this, embracing uh, a learning from failure. She said when she was younger, her father would ask her and her brother when they came home from school in what did you fail today? Or how did you fail today? 
Now, normally, parents will say, will ask, how was school? What did you learn? Tell me about it. Her dad would ask her and her sibling, how did you fail today? And that's an interesting question. And so they would share, this is how I failed. And and she said that when she would tell her dad, oh, I didn't fail today, her dad would be disappointed. Like, oh, that means you didn't try. That means you didn't get outside of your comfort zone. And so she attributes this question that her father asked to her every single day. She attributes that mindset to the reason why she's a billionaire, the reason why she was able to get out of her comfort zone, the reason why she she leaned into embarrassment and, and got up from her struggles and her failures is because she had a dad who taught her to embrace failure, who taught her that failure is part of the process, that if your mistakes are part of it, and that making mistakes is making progress in disguise. What happens to a lot of people is when they fail, it's it's worst case scenario. Not failure isn't an event, isn't an event. It defines who I am. Oh, I can't fail. I'm not allowed to I have to be perfect, and that's not real. That's not the case. Everyone who is at the highest level has failed more than the amateurs have even tried. They have failed over and over and over again. Michael Jordan said it, I have failed over and over and over again, and that is why I succeed. And it's not just a motivational quote, a motivational mantra, an inspirational mantra. It's a way of life. It is literally a mindset. And so if the person listening to this can train themselves to learn from failure, and literally you ask yourself, how can I learn from, how did I learn from failure today? Talk about it at the dinner table. Share it with your kids. Tell your kids, hey, this is how mommy failed today. This is how daddy failed today. This is how I failed in my life. And to pull out the lessons from it, not only are you going to grow, but you're going to teach your kids, oh, wow, mommy fails too. Daddy fails too. Okay, great. Let me share my failures. And it's you're going to help each other out. And your kids come home. They talk about their failures and how we can grow. And hey, let's learn from it. And so I think this is so powerful. It's it's in there for a reason. Six has to be in there learning from failure because you're going to fail so much along the way. And if you can't learn from it, you're going to give up. You're, you're, you're going to give up when, when you don't have to. You can just learn from it and, and come back a better version of yourself after every mistake. That's so interesting because I feel like nowadays parents try at, like to do everything in their power to protect their children from failing. It's, it's called the lawnmower parent. And they're like, okay, we got to set them up for success. We, you know, like make sure they win the game or make sure, and that's hindering them so much. And I actually hired a behavioral therapist for my son. And that was the number one thing she said, let him fail, like let him learn. Cause that's how he gains confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you ask anybody, even yourself, anything you've ever achieved, and an example, an exercise I love to do is, okay, once you say your goal, put a number on it. What's the probability that you're going to achieve that? And the chance, the odds are it's a lot lower than you think it is. 20%, 10%, like, okay, great. So you're saying there's a 10% chance you're going to achieve this goal or 50% chance. Let's raise it. Yeah. Okay. That means that there's a 50% chance you don't. And then to see their eyes get big, okay, does that mean don't go after it? No, it doesn't. It means go after it with everything you've got. However, now we need to prepare ourselves for the obstacles. Now, the question is, I always get is, how do you learn from failure? 
The way to learn from failure is to prepare for it. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, as a famous boxer once said. And so what you do is we sit down with these athletes and we identify potential obstacles that they're going to run into in pursuit of their goals. Okay, what's worst case scenario? This can happen. I can strike out. I can mess up. People can boo me. People could say mean things to me on social media. Okay, great. We have it all written down. Now, how do you want to respond to these things? How do you want to respond to that strikeout? How are you going to respond when you get stressed? What are you going to do when you lose focus? And now it activates the brain where the brain loves if-then contingencies. You have a contingency plan. So when that obstacle pops up, your brain is going to say, oh, Bree, we went over this. We talked, you're ready for this. Boom. As opposed to not having a plan and getting emotionally derailed when it pops up, you're more likely to respond effectively to failure if you prepare yourself to respond effectively to failure, if you have a plan for it, and that's going to help you bounce back a lot faster. It's actually really fascinating hearing you listen to how you speak to athletes, professional athletes, because it's interesting to see that they are nervous too. Like they, they fail, they're nervous. Like, what will people think? What if I fail? What if I'm not the best? Like we, it's, it's just interesting. Like we're all the same. We all have the same thoughts, no matter how perfect their life looks or how amazing they are. I think it just brings that human aspect back into it. That's really oh, fascinating. You hit the nail on the head, which is why people like myself have jobs is because they want to be the best they can. And so they no stone in a, is unturned. They want a new, an elite nutritionist. They want someone to help them with their body and physical fitness. We have biomechanists to help them with their kinetic chains. We have analysts to go over their, their, their analyzing the spin of a baseball. They have mental performance coaches to help them with their mental side. And so a lot of time they are the epitome of number one, you're never too good to get better. So they want to be the best they can. So they surround themselves with knowledge so they can optimize. And that's why I love anyone who's listening to this podcast. You're the same way. Why you, there's a reason you're listening to this is because right. you want to get better. And I think this is really cool what you're doing for that, for those, for those people. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. I have one last question and that is if you could give our audience one message going into 2022, what would it be? If I could give the, everyone one message in 2022, it would be to take a look at these six principles. You're never too good to get better. Do what you do on purpose with purpose. Little by little, a little becomes a lot. Focus on the process, not the results. Embrace the boredom of consistency or learn from failure. Which one of those resonates most with you? Think about it write it down and just try to execute on that principle the best you can this year. And that, that's my message to, to whoever's listening. I love that. Thank you so much, Justin. Can you tell our audience where they can find you? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I'm pretty uh, easy to find at Justin Sua, J-U-S-T-I-N-S-U-A on any social media platform. Great. And I will link everything so that our audience can find your books, if they want to find your books, your podcast, your Instagram, you are just a wealth of knowledge and we're so lucky to have you. Thank you so much. Appreciate the kind words, Bree. Thanks so much for your time. 
Thank you for joining us in today's episode. If you liked the content and want to hear more, remember to hit that subscribe button and write a review. As a small business owner, I appreciate it more than you know. If you are looking for a program to help with self-confidence, to lose weight, get in shape, and work on your mental, physical, and emotional health, check out my training programs on www.bodybybree.com. My team and I help to hold you accountable through the Body by Brie app, where you log in to see all your workouts, custom meal plan made specifically for you and your needs, and communication through the messenger. You are never alone when you're on the Body by Brie training program. Click the link in the show notes to get more information on how to transform your life from the inside out.